Accidents in the workplace are a daily occurrence. How do people deal with this and how should people deal with this? This is Stuff Employers Should Know. Welcome to Stuff Employers Should Know, proudly brought to you by LabourNet, management's ultimate HR solution. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. It's Yasser Yaslaket Ismail, your host and audio producer. Today, I'm joined in studio by Mornay Oosthuizen, all the way from the windy city of Port Elizabeth. And he is a senior health and safety consultant here at LabourNet. Uh, and he's going to help me answer a few questions relative to our health and safety product. And of course, the few things that have been bugging me. So, Mornay, firstly, welcome to the studio. It's an absolute pleasure having you in here. Um, I'm going to start off by asking you, what exactly are the tools needed in the workplace prevent injuries and accidents? Thank you, Yasser. It's an honor to be here. I must be honest, it's a very good question that you asked. And thanks to COVID, there's a many of these words that I'm going to mention are probably household words at the moment. So the truth of the matter is most of us actually know what those tools are. Things like risk assessments, incident investigation, medical examinations, checklists, report cards, all of those things are tools that we use. But probably the most valuable one for me at this point in time is something we call incident investigation. It's something that is unfortunately lacking very seriously in the workplace at the moment. And it's something that is actually very, very simple. To give you a bit of an idea of what I mean by that, every single person who's ever had a child has been an incident investigator. And in actual fact, the way that we handle these incidents and accidents that happen at home is something that's now reflecting in the workplace, and that's why we have a problem with incident investigation in general. Now, by start, I would like to say incident investigation is something that is required by law. But I want to start that with a big asterisk and say, when I say the word law, please do not consider or relate that in any way to load shedding, corruption, or any of the other negativities around our laws. The law that I'm referring to, and I won't give you specific legal references because that's just a bunch of numbers to most people, but the, the heart of the law is what I want everybody to understand. And that law I'm speaking about is the Occupational Health and Safety Act. To many of us in the, in the health and safety profession, it's almost like a, like a religious book. It's almost like a Bible to us because it contains many, many truths. The problem is, however, when you read that book, you're not reading a, a story. You're reading a list of principles, and they have to be applied. And one of the ways that we apply the knowledge from that book is through the wisdom of incident investigation. So let me go back to your home. When your child is a nine-year-old or an eight-year-old, runs into your bedroom with a small cut on their finger and they are screaming their head off, our first reaction is what? The first thing we say is, how bad is it? What happened? And if we find that it's a very small, simple accident or a little cut on the finger, we apply a bit of savlon, put a plaster on it, and nothing ever comes off it. The problem with that is we haven't gone and found out where that cut came from because we didn't think it was serious. The truth of the matter is if that child had to run in there with no finger or an amputated finger, as horrible as that may be, we would have a completely different reaction. We would jump up, find out what's going on, save the child, turn the house upside down, lock drawers, or do whatever necessary to prevent that accident from happening again. Unfortunately, because of that, I want to say complacency of trying to find out what actually happened in the small incidents is where we allow things to happen that we didn't plan for that escalates into big accidents. In other words, when you look after the small things, the big things can't happen. The definition of an accident really is an unplanned event. And if we think about it, if you can't plan 
the event because it's an accident, you also can't plan the outcome of the accident. And therefore, there's no way to realize how bad it could have been had you done X, Y, and Z. And that really is the heart of incident investigation. Now, at this point, I want to quote a man called Plato who actually said, good people don't need rules. And the fact that it's even in the law is very, very sad. Because as a parent, surely when one of our children get hurt, as a parent, it's our intrinsic responsibility to go find out exactly what happened so that we can prevent it from happening again. And of course, ultimately, prevent it from being a tragedy the next time because it can be 10 times worse. And that's really the heart of incident investigation. So the fact that I'm saying it's in the law is really only there so that when you do read the Occupational Health and Safety Act, it'll give you a couple of step-by-step instructions of how to do it. But the truth of the matter is you already know how to do it. And it's actually very simple. Every single thing that happens to an employee in the workplace needs to be investigated. In other words, whether something falls or drops off of a table, we like to call that a near miss. I don't like calling it a near miss because if someone shoots at me and misses my head, that's not a near miss, that's culpable homicide. So I don't like saying a near miss. What I mean by that is if something happens that didn't hurt anybody, it wasn't really property damage, but something went wrong that we had no control over, that's the first thing I would say we need to start investigating. And therefore, everything after that. But as I, as I said, the, the, the intensity or the urgency at which we attend to even those small things will make sure that if we can find out what actually happened, we can then put things in place, controls in place, rules in place, signage in place, anything in place to prevent that accident or unplanned event from repeating itself. Because like I said, next time it could be 10 times worse. So the law only really requires us to take some very simple steps. The first step is we need to know actually what happened, which means that everybody in the organization, everybody that works there, every visitor, anybody that walks past or has any contact with this company or your business at all needs to come to you and tell you when something happens. This rule is applied to all companies, so therefore if you have 10 people working for you, if you've got 1,000 people working for you, that reporting structure becomes more and more critical the higher the risks of what you do and the more people you have. Now, when you gather all that information together, you will find it will create patterns or trends which you can then use in future, but we'll get to that in a minute. So the first thing is to get everybody to understand to report it. Let's go back to the home again. If my son was to break a window in the house, I would expect him to come to me immediately and tell me about it, regardless of whether he gets into trouble or not. Because I can then take, unfortunately, a response or a, or a reactive measure to go and clean up the glass to make sure that nobody else is affected by that cut glass. But if he doesn't tell me immediately and he leaves it, three or four days later or even later that day, Somebody can walk in there and cut their feet on the glass because they didn't know it was there. So the fact that something went wrong, we can't blow that out of proportion and shout at the child for breaking the window. Let's deal with the problem first and then find out what happened. And to take that one step further, you might find that that window broke by accident. It's not even the child's fault. But regardless of the, of the reason, we need to deal with the problem first. So if that child comes to me and tells me about it, I can then take the necessary steps to clean it up, to prevent anybody else from getting hurt, and then obviously fix the window and then find out what happened. So that's the first thing, the reporting of the incident or accident. The second step is to make sure that we record it correctly. Now, the Occupational Health and Safety Act once again gave us a, a beautiful template or a document called the Annex 1. And that Annex 1 really summarized into a couple of 
vital parts of information that we can record to make sure that if we had to look back at a situation in maybe a year or six months from now, we'll be able to once again understand what happened. And the reason I say that is because pushing 50, I know that my memory is quite short. I sometimes don't remember what I had for breakfast. How am I going to remember an incident that happened in a factory with 500 people six months ago? So in essence, the Annexure 1 document is very simply a who, what, where, when, why, and how collection. Now, the reason that's important and the reason the Occupational Health and Safety Act wants us to do that is because if we take one Annexure 1 document, you don't really learn much from it because it'll tell you in a punchline what happened or in a summary what happened and how it happened. But if you take 10 of them and you put them next to each other, all of a sudden you'll find that you'll start to notice trends. And I'll give you an example. I have a client that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they have 10 to 15 IODs in a week. Now, that sounds like a lot. I must be honest, when I got there, it was almost 100 every month, so it's, it's gotten a lot better. But you have to consider the amount of hours and the amount of people that work and, of course, the risks. But besides that, when we took all those Annexure 1 documents and we put them on an, a very simple Excel document, which we called a trend analysis, we started to see an incredibly funny picture. Our first thought is normally that accidents happen on a Monday morning when people are sort of coming back from the weekend or it happens on a Friday afternoon when people lose their concentration. But here we found that 75% of the incidents was on a Wednesday afternoon, which we found incredibly strange. The other thing this document showed us is obviously if it was necks or hand or feet or fingers or what was actually going on, and we realized that 80% of the injuries was hand-related. Now, that sort of that did make sense to us because they are a packaging company and working with cardboard and paper, paper cuts is something to be expected. But if you do that in extra document, uh, in extra one document properly and you take it a little bit further, you can then start realizing a couple of more things. In other words, you can start focusing on which department it is. You can focus on what time of the day it is. You can focus even to what type of machine it is. And all of those trends can be picked up if you fill that annexure document in as much as humanly possible. In other words, the more detail you enter, the more accurate trends you're going to be able to pick up. But the secret to that is consistency. You can't fill that document in halfway one day and perfectly the next day and over the top the next day. Because if you're not recording the same factors of the incident every single time you fill that document in, the trend analysis won't work. But that's really the reason why the department wants us to complete the annexure one document. Now, I must bring you the legal side also. If the Department of Labor was to visit you, the first thing they will ask you is copies of the Annexure 1 document. They will not necessarily ask you for all your information or video clips or anything other, medical reports. They can, but they probably won't. They want to see that we are actively applying the principle of filling in the Annexure 1 and investigating the incidents. So, let's break the Annexure 1 up a little bit. The Annexure 1 is broken into A, B, C, D, and E. And half of that document is the who, what, where, when, but the rest of that document is the why and the how. And that you can only complete once you've done your investigation. And that is actually something that, that I don't even have to tell you how to do, because in your particular workplace with the particular risks that you have, you will find that you will probably find the problem pretty quickly because you are a, a subject expert of your own environment. But what I want to add is don't ever investigate that incident by yourself. Investigate that incident with as many people to assist you as possible. Make sure that you get statements from the people that were involved, from people that saw it. Even video footage 
doesn't always tell the full story. You can watch a video clip where a person enters a room, slips and falls, and all of a sudden they have a broken arm. But the next clip you watch, the same thing happens and the person simply slips and stands up again and hasn't got a problem. What the video doesn't show you is that employee's medical condition, whether they've got soft bones, whether they've got strong bones, whether they're young, whether they're old. None of that is shown on a video. And that's why the first thing I really want to say about an investigation is do not take anything for granted. Make sure that you sit down with the people involved, that you read the witness statements, that you look at the footage, you look at that person's history, you look at where they came from, how they worked, the hours they've worked. Recently, we dealt with an accident where a man uh, had an accident with a very big truck. And this guy has been a driver for 25 years. He's probably the most competent driver in the company. And yet somehow he veered off the road and rolled the truck. Now, this guy has never had a disciplinary against him. He's never been a problem. He's a model employee until we realized that he's been working for 16 hours straight and never took a break. So it was it his fault? Well, maybe his boss told him to push through, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The point I'm trying to make is you can't ever assume what happened. And secondly, your incident investigation is probably not going to focus on just one root cause. You might find three or four or five different reasons for that accident. And it's worthwhile to explore every single one of them. Because once you really know what happened or assume what happened, you can take that information and then multiply it through the rest of the organization. And by that, I mean similar people working in similar situations, other operators using those machines, maybe on a different shift. And you can use that information that you gain from your investigation to, to, to prevent further accidents. And that's really the point of the entire document. Because once that extra document has been completed, it's then law. And once again, it is the right thing to do regardless of the law. But it's then actually required by law that the safety committee sits with that document. And the safety committee, in a nutshell, is really a combination of employees, safety reps, managers, maybe even the CEO, if you're fortunate enough to get him there. And for those people to sit around and look at that document and understand what happened so that they can give their input to make sure that we put controls in place so that an accident doesn't happen again. Now, the reality, unfortunately, is 95% of all your incidents in the workplace are caused by negligent acts or unsafe conditions. And the truth of that is only the employees can really create an unsafe condition or take an unsafe act if they're not doing things properly. So, unfortunately, 90% of your investigations are going to point the finger at a person and at that point, we have to understand that the intention is not a witch hunt. We're not trying to find someone to blame. We're not trying to reskirt our responsibility. We're trying to understand what happened so we can repair the situation and avoid it. So even though it's probably going to look like someone did something wrong, the idea is not to berate that person, to discipline or scream and shout that person. And of course, there's limits. If you have someone doing something negligently over and over and again, there's discipline on that side. But, but I don't want to focus on the negative. We want to prevent other people from getting hurt. So the best thing then to do is to take those people or persons that were involved and make sure that you train them properly, you explain to them what happened, and you go through the whole process of preparing them for the workplace and even putting things in place to completely and utterly prevent the possibility of them doing something silly again so that we don't have a repetition. And that's really the heart and soul of incident investigation. Like I say, the problem is, one, we're not consistent enough, and number two, we don't pay enough attention to the small things. 
And there was a very intelligent man one day called Bird. I can't remember his first name. It was a man called Bird. He created a, a beautiful little triangle, an upside-down triangle, and he basically postulated through his experience in the insurance business that if you, if you don't look after the small incidents, eventually you will kill someone, and that really is the, the crux of this entire process. We don't want someone to die at work. But if the small things aren't taken care of, then there's no controls. And if there's no control in the workplace, ultimately someone will die. Recently, I was at a conference where I learned that the world average for deaths in workplaces is 3.2 million people a year, every year. And that's over and above COVID. That's got nothing to do with our advances in technology. That's just a fact of life. So unfortunately, injuries in the workplace is, number one, a beautiful, brilliant way for us to learn from our mistakes but it is a human tragedy at the same time, and it's something we have to deal with correctly. Mornay, the, the explanation that you've given regarding investigation um, has, has obviously painted this picture in my head um, where I'm on a construction site or I'm in a big warehouse, and you know that's generally where these sort of things go wrong. But does this mean that this part of legislation only applies to those scenarios and those specific employers, or does it apply to all employers? Yes, I'm so glad you asked that question. It's a really, really good question. So I want to look at the Occupational Health and Safety Act again and say that we have to divide that document into two major sections. The first section is what the book says about every single employer, and the definition of an employer is someone that employs another person and pays them to do a job on their behalf. That refers to whether you employ one person or 5,000 people and it's regardless of what they do, whether they sit in front of a computer the whole day or whether they climb a mountain every day or drive a truck every day, those principles apply. The second part of the OSHAC that I want to show is the regulations which specifies specific segments of our working world and that currently there's 39 million working class people in South Africa. So the regulations of which there are a few has to cover a lot of people. But they are divided into maybe asbestos, chemicals, hazardous chemicals. Obviously, construction is a big one, which you mentioned. But the truth of the matter is the incident investigation part of my discussion applies to every single employee and employer in the workplace. The only place where the OSHAC actually doesn't apply to is whether you're in an airplane or whether you're on a ship. But they have a document very similar to the Occupational Health and Safety Act. And then, of course, mines as well, which has also got their own Occupational Health and Safety Act. So the 39 million people that go to work every day has the incident investigation responsibility upon them. The truth of the matter is incident investigation is something that we as parents do regardless of what our children do and our, regardless of how old they are. So the best picture is every single employer, especially, and this is funny that you should mention that, especially in the office environment, in preschools, whether you are a government school and you're employing 20 teachers, whether you are the headmaster or even the lady that runs the tuck shop, this principle applies to every single one of them. Because as an employer, you have a responsibility to take care of the environment that your employees are in, including their health and safety and their well-being. So therefore, the minute you give an instruction, you are responsible for that instruction and the person following that instruction, regardless of what you're asking them to do. It's a crazy example that I sometimes use, but if you walk into a hardware shop and you buy a five-liter bottle of thinners, 
people take it, put it in their boot, they go home, they put it in the garage, maybe leave it next to an open fire. Nobody ever says anything. But if you take that same five-liter thinners into the workplace, all of a sudden people get upset because there's documentation and where is it going and who bought it and why and what's it going to get used to. And the difference between the two is when you buy something at a hardware shop and take it home, you're doing it out of your free will. Not an instruction from a boss. It's not someone that's put you in, harm way, in harm's way. It's not someone that's asked you to do something. You're doing it because of your own free will. But the minute you bring a five liter of thinners into the work environment, that five liter of thinners creates a risk for everybody around you. It creates a risk for the people that visit. It creates a risk for vehicles. It's a fire hazard, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And as the company is responsible for everybody on that property, therefore there has to be rules and regulations regarding that thinners, which is no different from you telling your son he can't throw a cricket ball in the kitchen or in the, in the lounge because he's going to break a window. So it's not supposed to be dogmatic. It's not supposed to restrict people from living. It's not supposed to be a, a legalistic thing. It's because we need to control the environment because my action can affect an employee that works with me. And therefore, I must make sure that what I'm doing is responsible. And that's the point. So, yes, we do have to investigate every incident in every workplace in this country as the law requires. Thank you so much, Monet. That that put things puts things into to perspective for me. Um, and of course, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here. Um, actually, on a side note, this is the first time Monet and I are meeting in person after doing hundreds of webinars together. So it, it really is a great pleasure to have him in studio. And uh, that sums up another episode at Stuff Employees Should Know. And from us here at LabourNet, we sincerely hope that you go home healthy and safe. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, you can pop us an email on sesk at labornet.com. Let us know what you thought about today's show. Let us know what you thought about previous shows. Or let us know what you'd like to hear in future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Stuff Employers Should Know was proudly brought to you by Labornet, management's ultimate HR solution. For more episodes from Stuff Employers Should Know, go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you play your favorite shows. Case law or statutes referenced in the podcast are current at the time of recording.